Welcome back to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. It's Saturday night, so we're in the Gospels, the red letters as it were. And we're to the last chapter in the first book of the New Testament, chapter 28 of Matthew. So, if you want to read along with me, let's begin with verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. So, that's sort of a controversial verse there because it's... tricky to try to count the days of when these uh, of how long Jesus was actually um, dead or counting the time from the crucifixion to the resurrection and since I guess one of the ways that would help make sense of it but also sort of confuses it is the fact that um, the days are counted a new day begins at sunset so since Jesus actually passed away on the cross according to the narrative on the cross around three o'clock one day and was taken down off the cross before the sunset technically that actual that daytime was the first day then taken from down from the cross and buried and guarded that night would be the first night then it says the next day um daytime is when the chief priests and um scribes and pharisees and whatnot decided to appeal to the governor to guard the tomb um, but that again wasn't the next daytime day but it was most likely after the sunset that same night but it actually begins another day so it can get confusing in that sense either way it's not until after the sabbath another day and night passed that the story picks up as far as the resurrection goes um, but here we are to the point after the sabbath has already come and gone that um, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' female uh, woman, one of the women who followed Jesus, and um, Mary, his mother, that's she gets the other Mary title, are the ones who've shown up to the tomb. Verse 2, And behold, there's a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door to, and sat on it. So, Lord here is not in all caps like it like it appears in and I'm using the New King James Version Bible a version of the Bible um, and when you read Lord here it's not being translated from the name or word if you prefer Jehovah instead it's being translated from the Greek word of Kyrios and as always please forgive me if I mispronounce any of these but um it's more consistently um, translated from that word in the New Testament since again the New Testament is about the Greek at least the part of it that we're focused on whereas the Old Testament is in the Hebrew so um, it'd be different words that is translated from but the names like we've read on other daily readings are uh, in the Old Testament can vary from El to Yah to Jehovah and in some cases it's just the letters so it varies throughout the Old Testament but in the New Testament Kyrios is generally the only translation that I've seen Lord translated from Um, either way it's saying that an angel appeared Um, an angel actually um, is what moved who moved the stone away from the door of the tomb and sat on it so that almost it reads as if the women witnessed it when it happened verse 3 his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow 
So clearly someone witnessed, witnessed it, but uh, the next verse makes it seem like maybe the women weren't the ones who witnessed it, but instead some of the Roman guard, um, but let's read it and see, verse 4, and the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. So clearly it's the Roman guards who witnessed the angel's appearance and um, the supernatural moving of the stone rolled up against the door to keep it secure from the body, Jesus' body, corpse, being stolen away um, from the tomb. And they were set there in the previous chapter that we read about by the religious authorities because they didn't want the resurrection narrative to take place. Um, somehow they thought the they suspected the disciples would all of a sudden get the nerve to um, show up on the scene again and steal Jesus' body away and then run with the resurrection narrative. But we already uh, debunked that theory because the disciples didn't even stay by Jesus' side when he was arrested. And for the, according to the Gospels, other than the book of John, they weren't there at the, res at the crucifixion either, at least not close enough to be noticed by anyone because they were afraid. So why in the world would they suddenly have the nerve to take on the Roman guard who are armed to steal away the body of Jesus? Um, so that's just more propaganda that other religions and other people will believe and buy into, but it's not consistent with how with the events that we've read about so far. But either way, so the guards are terrified at the presence of the angels. Verse 5, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. So now it's not only the guards who witnessed the angels, but apparently the women were there also. And they're getting um, uh, having a conversation with the angels even. Verse 6, He's not here, for he's risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. So the message, is, the message from the angels, just like the song goes, is um, that Jesus is risen, that he's resurrected, and that he's not in the tomb where they've come seeking him, where they've gone seeking him, I should say. Um, verse 7, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you in the Galilee. There you'll see him. Behold, I've told you. So before they could even go into the tomb to see the contents, to see if Jesus was there or not, they um, had the door rolled open or had the door, the stone against the door, the doorway of the tomb rolled away for them and the message delivered to them that Jesus is already risen. He's not there in the tomb, um, just like he prophesied to them that it would be that after the three days he would rise again verse 8 so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word so um the 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 women have gone forward with the message he's risen the similar message that modern christians should be going forward with as far as the resurrection and uh, life being available to Christians in the hereafter, not necessarily heaven, but life in the hereafter uh, through faith in Jesus. And I say that part because, like I said again and again, Jesus gives us an example of two people who passed away in Luke chapter 16. And neither of the people, one went to a, play, a pleasant place called paradise, not heaven. Another went to a 
torturous place with flames, but not call hell. And neither one of the people encountered God or or the devil when they passed away, even though religion will paint a whole different picture, which is the popular narrative around the world, but that's not necessarily the truth. And that's why we're trying to focus on what the actual naked truth is, according to what Christ has to say, since, again, what Christ has to say should be what's significant to Christians. More significant than anything else in the Bible should be the words of Jesus, if you're a Christian. Uh, at least in my humble opinion. Uh, one last thing about the three days. So if you count the day Jesus was crucified as day one, actual daytime one, and then that night when um, the body was already in the tomb and it secured, then the next day being the uh, Sabbath where um, they everyone in the religion had to rest, that's day two. And then so day three after the Sabbath is now when the when the women... Are showed up to the tomb where the guards are and now he's already resurrected and not in the tomb uh, it says um, um, so that matches the after three days but I know it also says and three nights in some other gospels so make sense of it how best you can um, but to me at least the three days are covered in that sense um, whether it's a full 24 hour periods or not it's still three days in the same sense that if um, 24 hours is a day, but also uh, from morning till night is called a day. But then also um, from um, an example, and then I'll move on. It's like I've mentioned before, I have I met just, I guess, by the grand scheme of things, the big picture of things. I met someone who was born the same day as me um, uh, in Russia. And we we met and became friends, lovers, and we're still acquaintances now. Um, but he is um, he was born. We were born in the same 24-hour period, which is the same day. But I was born on June 1st. He was born in Russia on June 2nd. But it still was in the same 24 hours um, that we were both born. So it's in the same day, but not the same day. So both can be true, even though they seem like they aren't. Just as an example of how a day can mean different things in different circumstances. And then one other thing before we move on from that is how a day can be different in the creation uh, narrative back in Genesis. It says not until the fourth day was the sun made. Um, and so, but what happened to the other days before then? The They could have been billions of years, eons. And it's unclear, but they can both still be true because a day back then or in that measure of time could still be a day as it was measured back then. But we on Earth don't measure days uh, except by rotations around the sun. So if the sun wasn't even created until the fourth day, that wasn't that it wasn't until then that the 24 hour day was even um, into existence. So it can still be true that it was days three days four days of creation up until that day and also be true that on earth a day isn't measured until that fourth day when the sun was created where you could even measure those 24 hours so um where things look like they can be contradictory they aren't always contradictory sometimes they're just um true in two different senses 
anyway, verse 9. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. So Jesus' first message to them when he sees his disciples uh, is to rejoice, be glad. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the first people Jesus appeared to were the women, not the 12 male disciples, but the women. And who were most faithful to Jesus up until the crucifixion and his death? It was the women. Those are who were at his side at the cross. Although one gospel mentions one of the disciples, John, being present at the at the cross during the at the crucifixion at his moment of passing. In fact, it was John who was um, the subject of the um, the I guess it'd be de facto adoption that Jesus performs there on the cross as one of his last acts on the cross. He tells John, "Behold your mother," and he tells his own mama, "Behold your son." And from then on, they treat each other like family. And um, that's what we call in plain English in modern times an adoption. Yet no governmental agency, no paperwork was involved. Yet it was still an adoption. And yet the people still treated it as such. So to me, that also affirms the fact that family doesn't have to be who you're born into, who you share blood or uh, genes or D DNA with. Family can be whoever it is that you share love with. Um, regardless of what a Bible thumper may tell you, Jesus shows us an example of it. So now here also, the first people who Jesus appeared to were those women. And the first people he give the gives the message to um, that he's risen and to share the good news of the gospel of the resurrection is to the women. So regardless of the patriarchy that exists undeniably throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, Ex and pretty much even in the new excluding the teachings of Jesus exists again and again and again yet Jesus uh, kicks all of that to the curb by letting the women be the first to see him resurrected and the first to get his message of rejoice and be glad uh, that he's risen again are the women not the men not the males um, so Jesus is telling him don't be afraid go share the good news and also to be faithful to the prophecy and orders he gave them before that it was in Galilee where they'd see him again and to meet him there. Verse 11. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. So um, the guards who were terrified at the, at the witnessing of the angel's appearance have proceeded to tell the religious authorities and per presumably the governmental authorities, um, um, what they witnessed that the angels appeared and uh, what's happened about the resurrection and all of that. Verse 12, when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. So yet again, you see the den of thieves showing up in, the, um, in religion, just like it was prophesied in the Old Testament and manifest in the new where jesus turned out the temple overturning tables was the outrage that jesus showed was directed at the fact that religion in general had become a business the fact that instead of being about guiding people or lighting people to god it came it became about what can we get out of it how can we get money out of it how can we enrich enrich ourselves through it 
And that's what it had become even in the Old Testament, like we've read on our um, other daily readings. And that's what's actually outrageous to God, and as exhibited by Jesus is turning out the temple. And you see what they're focused on here, again, is again the wrong thing. First, with the crucifixion, where they were focused on finding false witnesses, it said explicitly false witnesses, just in the same way where with the 2020 election, there are documents that say they were looking for fault. They were setting up false electors and it says specifically false electors. So it lets you know the intent is clear. It's not supposition. So just like here, they were looking for false witnesses and couldn't find any. Then they found some and went on with the crucifixion and then contra contradicted themselves with the governor by letting him know oh yeah we know his prophecy that after three days he was going to rise again it's signifying that they knew it had nothing to do with him threatening to tear down the temple and build, rebuild it in three days so they told on themselves the truth revealed itself and yet you see they're still focused on evil the wrong thing here where they're consulting with the soldiers who witnessed the truth and coming up with bribes for them to um, induce them to um, go along with the lie and they gave him money verse 13 just like they give Judas money to betray Jesus and stab him in the back and they're using that sort of technique again a den of thieves verse 13 saying tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept so clearly not concerned with the Ten Commandments of thou shalt not kill thou shalt not bear false witness uh, thou shalt not lie and now here even offering bribes so not concerned with the things they're holding other people to account to at all those ten commandments but instead focusing focusing on the traditions of men things jesus also condemned along the way in his ministry letting them know it's wrong to reject the commandment of god in favor of holding the traditions of men what we in plain english in modern times call religion it's wrong to embrace religion and reject what jesus actually said what is actually christianity and yet you see that's what happens all the all day long all around the world even among people who call themselves christians and are actually just bible thumpers they don't bother to follow what jesus says at all but instead embrace whatever it is the person in the pulpit or their own biases or heart tells them even if it contradicts directly what jesus has to say and yet they still believe they're being christian and believe that they're doing god's service something jesus also warned us about that uh, that's not going to be good enough so they're even being given the story to come up with to say that the disciples dun, 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 suddenly found the nerve to burst in and steal away the corpse while all the soldiers were asleep so the disciples had the nerve for one to according to the story they want to push that suddenly the disciples had the nerve to show up on the armed roman guards and who were all asleep all asleep at the same time and so deep in their sleep they don't hear the disciples show up and not only don't hear them show up but don't hear them show up don't hear them roll away the stone since it take most likely if it took an angel's strength to remove the stone at all it would most certainly take at least more than one man to help remove the stone but either way it would take great strength to remove the stone and then also to go in and steal away the body all while the roman soldiers are asleep they're expected to push that narrative 
and people to believe that story rather than I guess it would be just as um, incredible to believe that an angel showed up and removed the body but uh, that's the story that's the narrative that the soldiers are being told to um, go forward with after they've been paid a bribe to go ahead and do that verse 14 and if this comes to the governor's ears will we will appease him and make you secure so more lies are the the tool of religion that's what they're doing here they're they've created a narrative for the story uh for the for the roman soldiers to go forward with as the cover story and they're saying and if you get in trouble with your boss that's who the governor is then don't worry we got you we'll we'll take care of that too we'll handle that uh we'll most likely just come up with a lie for that also and they're saying we'll make you secure so don't worry we got you go ahead with the story we're telling you take the money and run and we'll take care of the rest verse 15 so they took the money and did as they were instructed and this saying is commonly reported among the jews until this day so it says until this day that same phrase we've seen again and again since our even back in the old testament letting us know that this narrative was taken down at a later time but unlike the narrative like in what are called the five books of moses it, it's it it's veiled as a contemporary narrative a content <laughs> keeps tripping on that word a, a contemporaneous narrative in the old testament where it, it it almost it's written to almost lead you to believe it's being written as it happens up until a certain time where it's clear that that's not the case we know that in the case of the gospels those were weren't taken down or weren't discovered and um until decades after jesus's crucifixion at least the ones we have record of in the bible there are other um uh records of jesus uh, accounts of jesus's life that didn't make it into the bible and almost certainly other accounts of it that are lost to time but the ones that did make it into the bible um one of the gospels anyway um if i remember right it might be mark uh, but don't hold me to that you can use that early christian writings website i mentioned in previous readings if you want to look up the timeline for when the different books of the bible and outside of the bible were discovered um but it was around 70 a.d around the time of the um destruction of the temple where at least one of the gospels was first um discovered and um and I, again i think it was mark but i'm not real sure in my memory um, but you can look it up yourself um but other books that aren't christian that are included in another religion the religion paul preached that doesn't include any red letters from Jesus at all, any quotes from Jesus at all, but is a very popular religion to this day, um, does, was um, um, discovered or, you know, included in the history before then, around 30 AD, around the time of Jesus. Probably not 30, maybe 40, but much earlier than the first gospel that made it into the Bible. But again, that's not Jesus's teaching. Those are Paul's teachings and Paul's uh, dogma traditions that people may choose to believe and embrace. But it, at the end of the day, they're just traditions of men. They're just 
thing someone has cooked up for people to believe and follow. It's religion. And it's not the same thing as Christianity. For it to be Christianity, it would have to be, at the very least, something Christ said, something Christ taught, something Christ did. These red letters. And as I said again and again, the red letters of Jesus disappear after the first chapter in the book of Acts and don't appear again in earnest until you get to the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And all of the books in between there are a whole other religion that have truly very little to do with what they have nothing to, to do with Jesus's words and very little to do with Jesus actual mission it's a whole other religion and it's one of the other religions that's still popular now just as the religion one of the other religions mentioned in the Old Testament is still popular now but again it has nothing to do with quotes of Jesus or Christ's actual mission or words or what it is Jesus would have us know. Not to say you have to disregard it, but to say you should know, do like Jesus says, um, what the will of God is. And that's no concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. So if you're knowing concerning the doctrine, to call it Christian doctrine, it would have to be from Christ. And if it's not from Christ, then most likely it's someone seeking their own glory. For instance, the religion that arises after the first chapter in the book of Acts. But again, believe whatever you want to believe. But that seems pretty basic and clear to me. But anyway, so the soldiers took the money and went along with the story and it's the popular narrative even now, even though it's not at all even correct to the narrative in the Bible, but it is popular and just like lots of religion are popular, but it's not necessarily true and definitely not true to what the words of Christ even says are. Verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So now it's down to eleven disciples because one of the disciples, Judas, um, according to the narrative, uh, committed suicide. And um, uh, so it's just the other eleven who also, again, deserted Jesus at the time of the crucifixion in what we'd call his darkest hour when he said he, he was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And at that moment, right after that, all the disciples forsook him and fled. So it's highly unlikely those same disciples who were stricken with cowardice suddenly had the nerve to go and take on, confront possibly being caught by the Roman soldiers. Also, opening up a tomb and coming in contact with a corpse, which also break would break their um, own religious rules that you aren't even supposed to touch. A dead body so it seems unlikely highly unlikely that that's what even happened yet it is the narrative that the soldiers have been told to run with um, but so now the 11 disciples the 11 that are, are left are, are um, gathered together um, to, to Galilee um, just like Jesus told them to and just like the women were given the message to for them to go forth with and tell the disciples to do Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So this, um, uh, uh, where it says some doubted, it's consistent with what the other Gospels say. Um, it's You can tell that the narrative is now just rolling along with letting us know the highlights of what happened up until the end. Because one of the, at least one of the other Gospels spells it out for us that one of the disciples, specifically Thomas, 
where the whole um, uh, phrase doubting Thomas comes from, I believe, um, was doubtful and said he wouldn't believe unless he saw the print of the nails in Jesus' side and put his hand in Jesus' side where the spear went through. Um, so it let us know clearly that at least one of the disciples by name doubted the whole narrative and the um, story of what the women said happened as far as the resurrection goes. Um, but in this gospel in Matthew, it's moving along letting us know that um, more than one of the disciples was filled with doubt, which of course that's understandable. If you see someone die, whether you witnessed it or not, if you've heard that someone is dead, and then you suddenly hear they're alive again, of course you're going to doubt it because you know that the person is already dead and gone. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So now Jesus has gone through the effort to make an appearance to the disciples so that um, in the other gospel where it talks about Thomas is doubting, um, it basically shows how seeing is believing. Um, is part is a huge part of human nature um, and that faith which actually makes faith even more significant when you can find it if you can believe in things that aren't seen it, it shows great faith um, whereas people in the Bible like the disciples didn't believe until they did see but faith can be something outside of religion outside of Christianity. It can be something in other terms in science and innovation. It takes foresight and in many ways faith for people to be inventors, to have the vision and belief that they know they can create a machine that's going to let people fly and then airplanes are made or to know that you can come up with something unseen that is still there like electricity and then make the whole world light up. So it takes that sort of blind belief and in religion it's called faith but it can be exercised in many different areas of life um, but in the Bible and in religion we're talking about faith where it come, when it comes to belief in things unseen as far as the divine um, so Jesus has appeared to them affirming their faith that the resurrection is a real thing that there is life after death at least for some and in at least in some sense um, and now Jesus is also letting us know that he's gained authority through his trials and through his mission. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. Um, that means, uh, to me, it, that would mean Jesus gets the last word, which again would, to me, point to the fact that to tap into that authority to realize that power you have to be focused on what it is Jesus mission was and what his words were which and at the current time most we have of it generally speaking is um, these red letters in the Bible which again is only a tenth or a tithe of the entire Bible not the entire Bible but just the red letters the words the authority Jesus showed us in those red letters and what Jesus is saying here in verse 19 is to make disciples of all the nations. That's the what should be the focus of evangelists or evangelicals, but you know that it's not. Evangelicals in modern times, especially in America, are nothing more than Bible thumpers. They go around uh, doing things like 
calling on demons from another country, another continent to help a clearly corrupt president get reelected. And then it doesn't work. And still they go out with their ministry and have people still believe and follow them, ignoring altogether the things Jesus had to say about false teachings, false Christ, all of that, ignoring everything in favor of what the religious people did in the Bible. And that's turning the house of God into a den of thieves, making it a business, making it about money, making it about self, self, um, self dealing. I think it's what it's called. I thought there's an alliterative term for it, but making it about enriching themselves rather than about alighting people to salvation. Um, but that's exactly what they do in modern times. And almost certainly back then too, that's what to me accounts for the rise of Paul and the or Saul and then Paul and then the rise of the religion that he preached and taught and that's still alive in modern times one of the most popular religions in the world but again not based on anything Jesus had to say um, but Jesus is letting us know that that's not what you're supposed to do what we're supposed to do is make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit that's where that whole Holy Trinity um, part of religion comes into in the play um, and gets twisted into a lot of other different things but not at all what Jesus says to do Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying here baptizing them and when he says baptizing he doesn't necessarily mean baptizing with water although that is the ritual and that's what he um, showed his uh, set the example of during his ministry particularly at the start of his ministry but we saw at the end of his ministry the water baptism isn't a necessity because someone in the gospel of Luke who was also crucified at the same time as Jesus and died at that same time made it to what Jesus calls paradise what you what is generally thought of as heaven but again God doesn't appear in in the paradise when Jesus talks about it in Luke or at all when people pass away and 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 in the, in the example when that Jesus gives in the book of Luke, but he does talk about paradise being the place where um, he's going to go, where he says, "Surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise." When he passed away, and that's in the book of Luke, twenty chapter twenty-three, if I remember right, um, verse forty-three, if I remember right. Don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure it is Luke chapter twenty-three. Um, so it's paradise that Jesus talks about, and again, it may be. It may be what we think of or call heaven, but it's not called heaven specifically by name. And Jesus does call he calls a place heaven specifically throughout the Gospels. So it leads me to believe it's not the same place. It's a different um, um, realm that exists in the hereafter for some who achieve it. And not everyone, not everyone goes there. Jesus makes that clear again in the book of Luke, but also throughout his ministry. Um, so the baptism, the man on the cross, the thief who was crucified at the same time as Jesus didn't get down off the cross to have a water baptism, but he still, according to Jesus himself, made it to that place called paradise that Jesus went to also upon his um, body's death. So it lets us know the baptism Jesus is talking about here may or may not it may include the water baptism but it's not exclusively the water baptism because again he showed us the example of someone else on the cross in the book of luke um 
So that's the baptism. I think so with, when Jesus is saying baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, I think what he's saying is baptizing them as in introducing us into the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father being God Almighty, the Son being God come to earth, come in the human flesh with the ministry, and the Holy Spirit being the Holy Spirit of God alive in both the Father and the Son and alive in us if we um if we're true to the faith. Um at least that's my basic general understanding of what's being said here. Verse twenty, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So that right there is the essence, the heart of red letter Christianity what you're supposed to be teaching what we're supposed to be teaching what I'm trying to share with uh, with the world or at least in my m minuscule efforts here with the naked truth is to share the teachings of what it is Jesus actually had to say since at the end of the day at the end of his appearance in the flesh at least at this point at the end of the gospel of Matthew is that's what we're supposed to be doing baptizing people into the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things, not that the Bible says, not that Saul or Paul says, not even what that Moses said, not that the patriarch said, not that the disciples said, but teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, I being Jesus, teaching the red letters, sharing the red letters, all the things, the message, the ministry of what Jesus had to say, that's what Christians are supposed to be focused on when it comes to sharing the knowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with the world. That's the essence, I believe, of red letter Christianity. And again, what Jesus has to say is only a tithe, a tenth, a tiny portion of what the entire Bible, those 60 plus books, has to say. And even part of those, the book of Revelation, is kind of suspect with some of its teachings um, outside of the red letters. So, Focusing on the red letters, focusing on what it is Jesus has to say, observing all the things that he has commanded us, Jesus being the he, um, is the essence, I believe, of red letter Christianity and the essence truly of what Christianity actually is. It's not following all that dogma, it's hearing what it is Jesus had to say, had to say has to say, and observing that, teaching that, sharing that. That's what it's supposed to be about. And I say teaching, and it says teaching them to observe. But Jesus lets us know we only have one teacher, and that's Christ. So if if someone's teaching you something as far as Christianity goes, it has to align with what it is Jesus has to say. He says, because one is our teacher to Christ, and we are all brethren. He said that back at the beginning of his ministry. I think it's Matthew 6, verse 8. And again, don't hold me to that. You can look back on it yourself and see or like I'm using, you can use the blueletterbible.org website. It's excellent. You can search terms there and it'll take you right to the passages in the Bible, the verses in the Bible, where each of these um, words or sayings, phrases are mentioned. You can do a search and find it yourself. But Jesus makes it clear. We have one teacher. That's supposed to be Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Anointed One. The rest of us are all brethren. Jesus is making it clear at the end of Matthew that that's what's supposed to be being shared, the things Jesus had to say. And in doing that, Jesus is with us always, even to the end of the age. And I think that end of the age points to what I was saying, said briefly earlier about 
trying to figure out the narrative, the story of the origins, the creation narrative in the book of Genesis. Those are ages talked about. Those first three or four days could have been entire ages, entire eons of time, billions of years, which science says it was, almost certainly was. I think they said four billion years is the age of the universe, something like that, which if you count each of those days as a billion, that would be four billion years. And then time, as we measure it, didn't begin until that fourth day when the sun was created for the earth to rotate around it and then measure our time and the way we measure it on earth in modern times by hours. But again, that's also relative because space travel shows that that is not true. Once you leave the orbit of the sun, you're not measuring time in 24-hour days anymore. And science believes the further out in the space you go, the further back in time you go, or in that sense, you travel through time because, and that's a more complicated thing, way beyond my understanding about how um, you can travel toward where they believe the Big Bang originated and actually in that sense, travel back towards or through time. Um, but in a simple sense, once you leave the orbit of the sun, you're not measuring time in 24 hours anymore because you're not measuring by rotations around the sun anymore. So in that sense, you are traveling through time in a very basic sense. Um, and in that sense also, that's where the ages, the eons can easily step in and be more simply understood. But either way, that's the end of this chapter and the end of this book. So that's the end of this reading. I all, as always, I appreciate you joining me for the Naked Truth and hope the Naked Truth is a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. Um, God bless you. I love you and appreciate you reading along with me. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.